The Defense Department stood up its Defense Innovation Unit, or DIU, back in 2015. It sought to pair military planners with Silicon Valley-type companies. After a finicky start, the agency caught on and started awarding contracts. But even though it found some successes, DIU has had its skeptics in Congress. They worry it doesn't have enough direction or spends without getting a final product. DIU is now out with its first long-term metrics. They cover the past two and a half years. Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni spoke with Michael Madsen, DIU's Director of Strategic Engagement, about those numbers and what they mean for the unit's future. This was a statutory uh, reporting requirement for DIU, and it's the second congressional report, uh, and we saw it as another mechanism uh, that we could use to articulate to one of our key stakeholders our mission, our five focus areas, and our metrics. And really, we took that opportunity and ran with it and really wanted to give a rich, robust narrative on all the great things that DIU has been doing since its inception, um, and really the value not only to our stakeholders on the Hill, but also the value to the warfighter and the value to the taxpayer as we can stretch the dollar a little bit further by uh, leveraging commercial technology instead of uh, generating that technology organically. So uh, we wanted to continue to update our metrics um, and uh, this is an opportunity to not only um, communicate those internally to the DIU audience, but also uh, externally, as I said, to our stakeholders. And what we see in the uh, reporting requirement was it was an opportunity really to come out with our metrics, um, what we are focusing on, what we think we're doing well, the areas that we need to continue to focus on, and tease out a little bit more. Um, and it's an opportunity to, like I said, share our metrics and presentations elsewhere. Uh, and we're an agile organization, so we want to um, keep those metrics updated as, uh, as frequently as we need to. So DIU was created in 2015. You start this, you start this report in 2016, a year later, and it spans about two and a half years. Within that time, you've started 109 projects. You've finished a little over 40 of them. And then about 23% of those completed projects have gone on and transitioned into contracts uh, for the Defense Department or for DIU. Are you satisfied with the rate of, of success and the rate of fielding that you're getting out of your experiments? Absolutely. Um, so taking a step back, uh, if you recall, we were stood up uh, to increase the connective tissue between the Department of Defense and the tech ecosystem and leverage all of that great commercial technology and investment in R&D that was taking place out there and see if we could bring some of that technology with minor customization into the department to solve some of the department problems. And a lot of it was prototyping technologies uh, to solve those problems, but also we were prototyping methodologies, new ways of doing business, new ways of thinking about things. So it wasn't just the technology, but also the process and the way by which we would bring that technology into DOD. And so if we, if we peel those numbers back a little bit that you stated, and we look at the completed projects. So we had 25 completed projects. And of those 25, six projects did not transition. So that's about 25%. Uh, and we think that's a fair number. If we were transitioning 100% of our projects, then we wouldn't be leaning far forward enough. We wouldn't be taking enough risk. We would be a little bit uh, finding that, that uh, equilibrium spot that is not uh, getting that technology for DOD. We had eight projects that successfully transitioned, and we think that's, that's a great number. So that's about 30%. So what we're focusing on now are those 11 projects that were successful prototypes 
eligible for transition but did not transition for whatever reason. Perhaps the duty partner only needed a limited number, um, various reasons for that. And so that's one of the things that we're looking at as we go forward is how we can take some of the transformative projects, make sure that we have um, robust transition mechanisms in place to not only transition those prototypes for the original DOD partner, but also to shop that solution around elsewhere inside the department and see what other organizations might have a similar problem that that would be a solution for. So we're happy with where we are, um, but we're never happy with exactly where we are. We're always going to lean forward, push a little bit, bit harder and a little bit further forward. So that's kind of where we are with the transition piece right now. So when a project or a prototype fails, what are the reasons behind that? Is it because DOD isn't ready for it? The technology is, isn't ready? What What is going into that decision and that issue? Both of those are, are great reasons. Uh, it could be that once we do the prototype, that it did not solve the specific problem that the duty partner was looking for. Uh, it could be that there was too much customization required uh, for that technology to truly solve that. Um, or it, it could be a variety of reasons. It may be uh, it failed, and uh, I use the word failure lightly, um, because that failure also could have informed a larger acquisition strategy that is a huge win as that service component would go forward uh, in a different direction, but with that knowledge from that prototype. So you have about 20 projects that have been completed but have not transitioned into contracts or into the Defense Department. What are you doing now to sort of grease the wheels and make sure that they do get on contract or go somewhere that is of importance? That's a, a great question and have to take a little step back on that and set a little more context and go back to that uh, methodology prototyping that I was talking about. And since we have continued to evolve, we're an agile organization, flat organization, continue to evolve and adapt uh, to our environment. And two of the organizations, sub-organizations that we have stood up this calendar year, one of them is called the Defense Engagement Team. The other one is called the Commercial Engagement Team. And those two teams are really targeted at getting after exactly what you talked about. I'll talk about the Commercial Engagement Team first uh, so we can spend a little more time on the Defense Engagement Team. So the Commercial Engagement Team is designed to be out in the tech ecosystem, get a, a understanding of what the uh, state of the art is, what the emerging technology is, and have a sense of that. But also to uh, kind of link that up with our five tech focus areas, AIML, autonomy, human systems, commercial space, and cybersecurity, and make sure that we understand who's out there, who's on the leading edge in each one of those focus areas, so that when we do put out a solicitation, we know that we'll have a rich, robust ecosystem that's going to be able to submit to that. And again, we're looking for the best technology across the United States. We're not looking just in Silicon Valley, just in Austin, just in Boston. We're looking for all of those great tech hubs uh, and all of the tech companies that are springing up there to solve some of our DoD problems. So that's primarily what the commercial engagement team does. Now, the defense engagement team, uh, you can think of it as, uh, I guess, the nearest commercial uh, parallel would be the two-way street of sales and business development. So on the business development part, that happens early. They're out there engaging with our DoD customers, figuring out what the problems are, um, helping to really distill some of those problems down to a simply stated problem so we can peel back the layers and, and fully understand what the heart of the issue is. And then they'll bring that into uh, DIU, 
where we'll bring it into the specific portfolio. They'll continue to curate the problem into a simply stated problem statement. And then we have another internal mechanism called a uh, project decision board, where it's a deliberate, transparent process by which we will uh, make the decision which projects we're going to take on and which ones we won't. And part of that matrix is, is it transformative? Is this going to be um, life-saving? Is this um, dollar-saving? Is this something that can uh, transition and scale across the services or platforms? Uh, and then once, once we do take it on and it goes through the prototyping phase, once we have a successful prototype, then that other side of the street that I mentioned earlier, the sales part of it, that's where the defense engagement team will take that successful prototype and then go back out to the defense department, the services, the agencies, and see if there are some other problems that can be solved by that prototype. A, a really um, easy-to-describe uh, example of this would be predictive maintenance. We started with the Air Force. We had some success on some uh, aircraft platforms, scaled to some other aircraft platforms in the Air Force. Then we took it to the Army. We awarded a prototype contract to apply predictive maintenance to the Bradley Fighting Vehicle fleet. And now we're working with the Navy to see about the viability of applying that same concept to uh, ship maintenance. So that's an example of, of a successful prototype. Our defense engagement team then took it back out to sell it. And so the defense engagement team is now engaged in some of those projects that are el eligible for transition and seeing uh, how else we can, we can scale those across the department. A project that we're working on, which started as a DARPA cyber challenge, that they developed the technology. We took that technology that came out of that challenge and further developed it. And what it does is it um, uses AI coupled with cybersecurity to automatically detect and mitigate cyber vulnerabilities. And so that's one of the things that we think clearly um, there are some transformative properties there. We think that that will be able to scale across uh, services. So that's something that uh, we're very excited to be working on. Do you feel like this report has allayed some of the fears that Congress has had about DIU? Obviously, they are worried about money. They're in charge of money. They don't want to give too much risk to things. So are you, do you feel that, that Congress is on board with what you're doing and uh, that, that their concerns are being addressed? We are always happy to engage in the, the dialogue and the discussion and articulate the return on investment that DIU brings in accelerating that technology to the warfighter. Uh, we believe that by leveraging commercial technology, we're uh, advancing that investment so we can stretch that dollar a little bit further by leveraging that commercial technology, applying some minor customizations to it, bring it into the Defense Department and solve some of those challenges. So our, our sense is uh, yes, we think the relationship has improved, but again, we are not satisfied to sit back on our haunches and, and be happy and satisfied with that. We're going to continue to uh, push the edge to accelerate the commercial technology to DOD and to continue to uh, tell our story on the Hill and articulate the return on investment and the value we bring to the warfighter and to the taxpayer. One of the really interesting things about since you started is a lot of the words that are synonymous with DIU, the Defense Innovation Unit, have now scaled up into the Defense Department. So they're using words like taking risk, innovation, venture capitalism, that, that type of stuff. In 2018, the, the X, the experimental part used to be DIUX, was taken from your, your name, and, and that was supposed to signify an integration within the Defense Department. What have you noticed since that change has happened, and, and do you feel like more part of the Pentagon as a whole? 
we were thrilled uh, that the movement behind taking away the X was to transmit our permanence in the ecosystem, the defense ecosystem. Uh, so that was great news for us uh, that that was the messaging behind it. And as I mentioned before, not only do we prototype technology, but we prototype methodology. So we're also thrilled to see, you know, prototyping come into regular use. Um, uh, assessing risk, smartly assessing risk and mitigating where it can and not uh, just being happy with minimizing the risk, that equilibrium position. So we are absolutely happy to see all of those changes taking place. You mentioned in this report that 92 of the companies that you worked with on these prototypes, you had 109 of at least projects throughout this, this two and a half year period. 92 were non-traditional companies. That's that's a, a pretty big number. Can you give us a, a, a bit of a spectrum of the companies that you're working with? I also believe that for 45 of them, it was their first time working with the Defense Department as a whole. The statutory authority to use other transactions to rapidly prototype uh, favors non-traditionals, but it also gives ways that the traditional industrial base can work with us as well uh, through various means. And I think the reason we're, that we're focusing on non-traditionals is we're trying to grow the national security innovation base. Um, you know, back when I was in a, on a previous job, I worked on a panel that was looking at streamlining defense acquisition, and I interviewed about 100 tech CEOs. And one of the first questions I asked them was, you evaluate the Defense Department marketplace, a $733 billion defense marketplace, and you say no thanks. And the responses I got, I was able to bend into um, fairly identifiable buckets. It was too expensive, it's too complex, uh, takes too long, all of those type of things. So what we do is we lower those barriers to entry to the defense marketplace and get access to that technology in the agile uh, companies that are developing all those type of things. So we represent a, a way that those companies can come into the defense marketplace. Now you ask about some of the different country companies. Um, non-traditional does not necessarily mean small business. We do work with a lot of um, small tech companies that are very agile and able to respond to the emerging technology. We work with large tech companies. Uh, in fact, one very large company, as I said, evaluated the defense marketplace, made the business decision not to work with the department because they had a, a whole host of other customers. And they started working with DIU. We showed them that it was, it was easy to work with the Defense Department. We put them on a prototype contract in a short amount of time. And subsequent to that, they are now on four or five other uh, contracts, uh, FAR-based contracts, uh, working as a sub to a prime. And so we see that as truly pulling a company into the national security innovation base. We're not looking just to pull a company in for one prototype and then end that relationship. We want to pull tech companies in and be a uh, enduring, uh, sophisticated partner for the Department of Defense. How do you feel about the size of DIU? Your funding right now is, is not really a lot compared to most programs in the Defense Department. You're asking for a, a good bit of extra money in 2020, but you're also expanding a bit. Uh, where do you land on the size and budget of your agency at this point? What we want to do is we want to stay agile. Uh, part of our mission set is that we leverage our DOD partners funding. So even though we have a very modest budget, um, we, we have no desire to grow that to a humongous budget. But what we want to do is we want to remain agile, leverage our DOD partners budget, and then uh, show a, a return on that investment. And if you look at our metrics, we're looking at a 10 times 
uh, cost savings. And that's going to continue to be our focus is to uh, bring that savings back to the department. And can you explain how you, you leverage partner funding? When I say leverage our partners' funding, we're leveraging the DOD partner funding. So oh, for that uh, predictive maintenance case that I described moments ago, uh, that was we used some of DIU's RDT&E, R&D funds, and then we also uh, used some of the Air Force's R&D funds. We, we leverage dual-use technology. So um, we, the value that we get is the technology that's already out on the commercial market, that's already in use, already in place, and we just look to prototype customization to solve DOD problems. So we don't get money from the companies. We put them on a prototyping contract. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. <laughs> 